Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, give us absolute satisfaction and delight in You. That when You come and call us to forsake everything, we, You come to us with open hands that are not clinching on to the things of this world nor the pride of our own hearts, but God, that we would give it all for Your sake and for the glory of Your Son. And this is not an endeavor that we can do, nor would we even want to do in and of ourselves. But God, this is the fruit of your spirit working through your word. So now, God, we ask that you would work through your word to conform us from one degree to the next into the image of your glorious Son. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Wars are fought for countless reasons. Gold, oil, land, love and lust with the case of Helen of Troy, even the pride of men. But there's only one war, one, in all of human history that's been fought over a man's ear. The war aptly named the War of Jenkins' Ear. So here's here's the story. The Spaniards are the first ones to deeply pierce into the veil of the Americas. And before long, they have these gold mines in which slaves are hewing gold out of the ground with calloused hands and weary backs. Queen Elizabeth I doesn't like these heavy-laden ships filled with gold going and making their way back to Spain. So she says, pirates have at it with complete immunity. If you want to go after these Spanish ships, go after them. So for the next 150 years or so, these, there's a ton of skirmishes going off on the shores of the Americans between these English ships and these Spanish ships heavy laden with gold. So a Spanish admiral comes aboard of a Robert Jenkins ship, who's a merchant, you know, and they're looking for contraband, and one thing happens, and another thing happens, and before you know it, the swords are drawn, and Jenkins' ear is cut off. He has the wit about him to put this ear into a jug of whiskey, and Robert Jenkins, who was a sailor, a man who was never accused, or had his character be smirched with an accusation of sobriety nor truthfulness, makes his way back to England with his ear in this jug of whiskey, goes into the House of Commons, slams it down in front of the members of Parliament, and says, this is unacceptable. You get a bunch of harumphs, 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 and before you know it, the war drums are beating, and Jenkins' ear is enough to set off yet another war. And at some point... You have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Hundreds of ships are now at the bottom of the sea. Tens of thousands of men gave their lives for this war. Is it, is it worth it for England to give so much up? Likely not. But you see, in our text, we have to wrestle with this same question. 
Is it worth it or is it not? At what point in our lives or in the Christian life is it worth it? How much can you give up for the sake of Christ and not get burned? You don't want to be a fool. You want to, you want to hedge your bets a little bit. You want to, you don't want to put in more than you're going to get out, right? But what if your action to forsake everything wasn't so that you could acquire more, but it was because you already have everything? This is what our text brings us to today. It's the main thing Paul is driving at here is that you were to gain Christ. Gain Christ and be found in Him. So, the natural flow of this is that you see Him losing everything, gaining Christ and being found in Him. And then, He talks about the resurrection. So, Paul, again, Paul's main thrust here is that we would gain Christ. And how do we do that? Well, then, you're, part of that is forsaking everything, losing everything, gaining Christ and being found in Him, and the resurrection. So let's go back to our text here in verse 7 here. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the sake, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's so tender here. You hear His heart. My, Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So here's our friend Paul who seemingly he had it all. He was born into the right family. He was gifted by God. But you see that happen quite a bit. But the men aren't driven. But even Paul himself. Now he has this perfect circumstance but he has this inner drive to do it. There's nothing beyond his grasp. And what begins to happen when you have this is that the pride of the world begins to come over the buttressed walls of the church and then we begin to become prideful in and of ourselves. And before long, you see in your own heart and in your own church what is happening in Philippi. So Paul encourages them in these earlier verses here. In verse 2, he encourages them. Don't shipwreck your faith. You're going to see these other men prideful about what they have or prideful about what they do. He says in verse 2, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, saying, You must be circumcised. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence, I have more. So Paul's saying, okay, don't do this. But you you want to play that game? I can play the game. You want to play it? Sure. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, tribe of the first king. A Hebrew of Hebrews. So when you think of the epitome of our people, of God's people, you would think of me. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. Maybe you could recite the Shema, but I can interpret the Shema. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. It was natural for me. My love of my people that I would persecute the church. To keep it pure. 
As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. There's a lot of religious hypocrites out there, Paul would say, but I wasn't one of them. Even behind the scenes, I was blameless. So everything that you wanted, everything that you wanted, I had. Let me tell you what I think of it. It's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. But whatever gain I had, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's like a wise parent who shares his own failures with their children so that they might not repeat the same mistakes. Learn from my past. Look at the text here. Whatever gain I had. He's saying, I thought it would be beneficial for me. I thought it would help in my standing with God. All of these righteous things, all of these markers, these spiritual markers that I could have, I thought they would help me on. I thought they would make me pleasing in the sight of God. But now I realize the only thing that is pleasing in the sight of God is His Son. So I can stand over here in my own righteousness, and that's our temptation and our pride, just to come over here and stand in the righteousness of ourselves. But in doing so, we're separated from the only one in whom God is pleased, and that is in His Son. So then all of these things, I consider them to be, now I look at it and I see that it's a loss. Previously, I thought it was an advantage. Look at me. You would hear me praying in the streets. You thought it was great. I was a persecutor of the church. Little mothers would tell their children to be like me. Be zealous like Paul. Dare to be like a Paul. But now it's, it's just a loss. It was actually in the way of me seeing all of the beauty and all of the glory and all this intimate love and faith and complete dependence in Christ. It was in the way. I thought it was advantageous. But it was holding me back. But you have to ask yourselves, what is holding you back? What do you think could be advantageous when you look and you think it could help and you're standing with God or you're standing in the world, but now when you really look at it and you see, oh, this is holding me back. The painful thing is, is that you've probably been striving after it for years and years and years. You obtain this position, and now you realize it consumes my life. Or you've climbed the ladder, and you now realize the money that you certainly would have, you know, sacrificed your own children to obtain. Is, is not only not pleasing, it makes you feel it's distasteful, actually. But you can't get rid of it because you have so much invested into it. So you're caught. So you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. What Paul is calling us to do through the Holy Spirit here is to just go, it's a loss. I don't want it to encumber me anymore in my pursuit of Christ. Maybe it's a relationship, whatever it might be. Don't be afraid to set, to just 
and sever it off. It's like a, a ship that has her sails filled with wind, but it's being held back by this anchor. You just have to cut it off and let the Holy Spirit then drive you forward in a way that you may have never thought possible. So it's a loss then. And then then he almost catches himself here. And then he goes on in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's not, he goes, I, it's, okay, it's not just this religious stuff. Let me think about it. Indeed, it's everything incredibly emphatic here in the language. Every bit of religious hope and any affection that I had for this world, they're all heaped up together in one pile and just buried. It used to be everything, but that which was enticing and now has lost its beauty, if for no other reason, then he might see and have the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So then you begin to ask yourself, was it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when you see Christ, or when you should say, when you are seen by Him, the inner struggles where you think it might be this prolonged debate, should I do it, should I not, should I sever it off or not, what should I do? When you be, when your eyes behold Christ, this inner struggle just goes away. For you know there's nothing else that I want. There's nothing else that I need. Everything else can go away. It can be counted as a loss. And that is perfectly fine. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So Paul again. He doesn't see it as a matter of giving everything up. So much as to realizing he already has it. He has everything that he could ever want in Christ So then how do you approach these things that you cut off, these religious markers that Paul might have? How do you approach these markers that are apart from faith and seem to encumber you as you move forward? Well, Paul considers them rubbish. Rubbish. Imagine thinking that of your own career that you've pursued. And and you're you're not just like trying, but you're not really doing. No, he he was... he was superior to everyone else. And you just go, oh, no, it's, it's rubbish. I don't need it. I don't need it at all. And there, there's a variety of uses that this, this word uses, but the, the, the root of it is just that which is thrown to dogs. This table scrap. You might have, no, it's nothing. It's thrown to the dogs. It's nothing. It's not even, it's, it's not even that I don't want it. It's actually, um, contemptible when you, when you think about it. I want nothing to do with it. You just get it out of here. We don't need it. All right. So we, we see our, our once esteemed and desire for, uh, or our desire to be esteemed and to be known in the world is now considered rubbish. And Paul is pleading with them to follow his own example, to gain the life of Christ and be found in him. So what what Paul is not saying is just try harder, push this stuff aside, try harder and push it aside. What he's saying is, no, 
gain Christ and be found in Him. Gain Christ and be found in Him. So let's go back to our verses here. Let's pick it up halfway uh, through 8 here. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the beautiful part. Again, we're not, men and women are not a bunch of ascetics that deprive themselves of pleasure and thinking that abasement is this, this way of becoming more and more holy. We suffer the loss of all things. So that, in order that, I may gain Christ. I mean, think about it. Think about it in this way and put a little perspective on it here. True satisfaction in what we are actually craving in these things of the world is only truly found in Christ anyways. So your your desire for intimacy... And you're lonely. And so you, what do you do? Well, you go from relationship to relationship. But you know only true intimacy can be found in Christ. To be fully known and to be fully loved by Him. Or you want the applause of others. Right? So you climb the corporate ladder and you forsake everything to do it. Why? So other people below you can think, well, how great you are. Or you just take a bunch of pictures of yourself, drinking coffee, or sitting down, or driving, or or eating, you know. And then you you put it out there on on the, on the the socials, and then what are you doing? Well, you're doing it so you can get the applause of men. That's what you're doing. But true approval can only be found in Christ. When you know, I am a true son or daughter of the living God, and I'm a fellow heir with Christ. So you want approval? Of course you do. Turn to Christ. Or we turn to alcohol and drugs, because what we want to do, we want to change the perspective in which we see the world. And how we understand it, and to then get rid of the anxiety. But if you want to see the world properly and to get rid of anxiety, you don't numb your senses. You fill them with the grandeur of Christ. That's what you do. So this is the beauty of what's going on and how God has orchestrated all of this. It's that these things that are, in, we, that are encumbering us towards Christ can actually be okay and good things, but they are designed to show you that they can't do it and that only Christ can. And you're only going to be satisfied. You're only going to have intimacy and you're only going to have uh, a sense of being known when you are in Christ. So this satisfaction will only come when you drink of the living water. Okay, so you don't only forsake all of these things in order that you may gain Christ, but also that you may be found in Him. And the brother pointed this out, that the, the, the passive nature of this is that we don't find Christ, but rather we are found in Him. Kind of admittedly, it seems a little obscure, but what does it actually mean here? Is that you have nothing in and of yourself. That Christ is a sacred head and we are just members of His body. That 
we are the living branch and he is the true vine, that we are united with him. How does this happen then? Well, Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And remember, this is our temptation. This is our temptation. Well, I was circumcised. I was born to the people of Israel, the Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to the zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Oh, I grew up going to church. Don't you know that? I grew up going to church. I prayed the prayer a thousand times. Every time at camp, of course. First one in line, yes. That's what we look at. But it's not upon that. But rather a righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's righteousness, our right standing with God, rather to be the way you were created to be, to be holy and blameless in His sight. So then our, our righteousness is not dependent upon who we are or what we do, but only upon what Christ has done when you are in Him and found in Him. It's actually not that complicated. It might sound that complicated, but it's not that actually, it's not that complicated. You can bring what you have before God. And you will realize that you have nothing to offer. Or you can be found in Christ when He is before the Father. And the Father is completely delighted in His own Son. And when you are found in Him, then the Father is delighted in you as well. So, I plead with you to just... Our temptation is to be here. It really is. Right now, it might be easy. Yes, I want to be found in Christ. And you go to work and you start pushing people aside and you think you're great or whatever it might be. The temptation is to be here and to make a name for yourself. But just turn to Christ and gain Him and be found in Him and Him alone. All right. So what we're seeing here is that Paul is saying... It's not of my, my own righteousness. I don't want that. I don't need that. I want to be, I want to gain Christ and I want to be found in Him. I want to have a righteousness from God that depends not upon myself, but upon faith. And then seemingly, he like brings in this resurrection idea out of left field. And you go, what, what, what's going on here? Okay, let's read here. Okay. I'm going to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Okay, I got you. But one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Perfect. I'm with you, Paul. Number 10, that I might know Him. All right, I'm still here. And the power of His resurrection, I might share His sufferings and becoming like Him in death, that by any means possible, I might obtain the resurrection of the dead. Righteousness by faith, okay, perfect. And then he like seemingly jumps the tracks almost and goes off and talks about this resurrection. And we, I just thought about it and pondered it all this whole week and coming. How does he so in his mind, what is happening? How is he seeing this? 
that they so seamlessly tie together so well. As sons and daughters of, of the Reformation, you know, we know, how are you saved? By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. You grow up with pastor faster now like I did. It is drilled in you. This staunch German Lutheran man is drilling it in you. How are you saved? By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. But Paul is thrilled with this. How are you saved? Well, not of the righteousness of God that's dependent upon it. But his sole ambition, he's happy with this, but his sole ambition, what is it? It's not just to be saved by grace through faith. His sole ambition is to be with Christ. And this is why the resurrection comes in seamlessly right at this spot. So all of the perfect doctrine, it is sweet. Because it brings us back into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's going, what do you want me to do? Share in his sufferings? Yes, absolutely, I'll do that. Become like him in his death? Absolutely. You know what? I'll do anything that by any means possible I might obtain the resurrection of, of the dead. But I want to be with Christ. So whatever it takes, I will do it. So Paul here is, is yes, he's a missionary and he's an apostle. Yes, but Paul's a pastor. And as a pastor, his main duty, his sole job is to get this flock Across the finish line. And into glory. Are they going to squabble along the way? Probably. They're, you know, they're going to bite and devour one another. Maybe. Get them across the finish line. Brother. Brothers in Philippi. Yes, you're going to be saved. Not of a righteousness of your own. But one that is dependent on faith. So that you might obtain the resurrection of the dead. Don't lose sight of this, brothers and sisters. Through all that is going on. All right, so what do, we, what do we do with this? We're running long here. What do we do with this? Well, you, the applications, it's, it's already given you here in the rest of the book of Philippians. One, you, you press on. This is the call before you, is to obtain the resurrection and to be with Christ at any cost here. Paul writes, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So brothers and sisters, press on to obtain this resurrection. Not, not, to, not to, to obtain it like have a, a possession of it, but to attain it like it's a goal that you're going after. Already, we've seen it. We've seen it. Brothers and sisters fall away. You've seen it in your own lives, even in your own families. You've seen them turn away. And it's difficult. To be honest, it's probably going to get harder. But when you gain Christ and you are found in Him, your heart's burden and desire is to press on towards this resurrection that you might see the face of the one in whom you are in and be with him, whatever the cost might be. Number one, we press on. Number two, 
is rejoice. The heart that gains Christ and is found in Him is the heart that rejoices. Now, admittedly, many of you know, I'm horrible at this. Absolutely horrible. You don't have to laugh out loud, but thanks. (laughs) So what do you consider? Think about this. When you consider the sin and the mire and the muck that you were pulled out of, and to the glory that is awaiting you when you are, when you gain Christ and when you are found in Him, the natural overflow of your heart is that you are going to be rejoicing and rejoicing in the Lord, even in your worst day possible. What are you? We are one day closer to glory. That's a good day. So rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Alright. So we press on. Knowing that we have gained Christ and we are found in Him. We press on towards this resurrection. Number two. Rejoice along the way. Every moment. Every day. Through every circumstance. You are that much closer to eternal glory. And being with God. Number three. Live out this resurrection. Live it out now. For the same Spirit that will carry you into glory is now dwelling within you, provided you are in Christ. Therefore you are able to, not perfectly, while we're still in the flesh, not perfectly, but you are still able to live out this future glory. Which is why Paul is calling them, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any thing excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and live them out. You have this resurrection awaiting you. So brothers and sisters, whatever is in your life that is encumbering you and holding you back from Christ, give it up that you may gain Christ and be found in Him. And that by any means necessary, you may obtain the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we delight to gain Christ and to be found in your Son, not having a righteousness of our own that is dependent upon our own standards or even the law, whatever it might be. But God, let us delight in the righteousness of of you that comes to us through faith. God, let us live this out. Let us come to you and feast as we are gain your Son and we are in your Son. Let us feast now spiritually upon your Son as we turn to the table, God. And keep us until the day that we will see you face to face, God. That by any means possible, By any means possible, God, we might obtain the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Amen.